Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. Amen. We're going to start a new series today called There is a Cloud. And that, that's the name of that song that we actually just sang. And, and that, that theme is going to make a lot more sense as we get into our content for today. And it will make even more sense next week. But to get started today, I want to share something with you. One of my favorite movies of all time, uh, specifically one of my favorite sports movies of all time, is the movie Moneyball. Have you anybody seen that movie? You know what I'm talking about? If you've seen it, then you know the story. If not, just hold on for a minute. We'll get to something interesting in just just a few minutes. Um, it is a movie uh, about uh, the Oakland Athletics. It's a baseball movie, and it's about their 2002 uh, season. And one of the main characters is a guy by the name of Billy Bean. Now he's played by the ever so beautiful Brad Pitt, right? You know, he, he plays that role. And one of the things that he says in this movie is, how can you not be romantic about baseball? How can you not be romantic about baseball? And I was thinking about that in context to what we're about to talk about. And I would say, how can you not be romantic about a story of an underdog or somebody who goes against all odds, all adversity that could possibly be thrown at them, they go against that adversity and they come out on the other side victorious. How can you not be romantic about that? How can you not get excited? I mean, that's what I, I think I like most about this movie. It's based on, on a true story and it's, it's this, they're against all odds, they triumph. Against all odds. Now, if you know the movie, then you know the story, but I do want to kind of share so you get what I'm talking about as we jump into our content today. The story is about Billy Bean and this manager who basically was fed up with baseball being the way that it was, and he's going to change baseball forever. He says, I, it's, this old system is not working, and they were one of the poorest teams in all of baseball, and he had just lost his three best players to teams with more money. And he's like, how are we going to put together a team that could possibly win this next, any games at all this next season uh, with no money and, 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 and we just lost our best, you know, our, our three best players. And so they developed a system using math and metrics to put together a team of a bunch of ragtag players that everyone said no one can win with these guys. Even the coach said no one can win with these guys. Well, that year, 2002, by June, they had the season had started off in shambles, and by June, they had a record of 30 wins and 30 losses. By August 30th, they had managed to string together a streak of 19 straight wins. 19 and 0. Something that had not been done in baseball in over 100 years. They were doing it. And on the night that they would receive, could receive their 20th win. They were playing the Kansas City Royals and they went up 11 to 0. I don't know if you know anything about sports or baseball, but an 11 to 0 lead is good. That's a good day. Your coach is happy, you're happy, and then they proceeded to blow that 11 run lead and tie the game 11 to 11. 
And I want to show you the clip that come from that movie. But to give you a little context of this clip, the guy that's about to come up to bat should have never played baseball again. He had damage. He was a catcher, and he had damage to his arm, his throwing arm, I believe it was. And he was basically, nobody wanted him. He was basically blackballed from baseball because he was unusable. And they picked him up, and this is what happens. If you would show the clip. The Oakland A's remain tied fifth on the all-time win list with 20 straight wins. They did something that no American League team had done in over 100 years of baseball. And why show this clip? Why take this time to, to use this as an illustration? Is, is because I think that this is a beautiful picture of what life looks like for most of us. I, lo I, love, I love that last little scene. It's, it's, it's just... Most people wouldn't even, wouldn't even care or notice the little gesture he makes, the excitement that he has there right at the end of the clip. He thought he was bad luck, and so he never would watch the games, ever. Well, he actually watched a part of this game, and he thought it was his fault that they were going to lose. And then when they win, it's like this moment of, wow, you know? This moment of we triumphed against all odds. Against all odds. And I think... Many of us, like the Oakland Athletics, go through seasons of life where it seems like, how are we going to make it through this day? How are we going to make it through this season of life? We've, we're like the poor team. We have no money. We have nothing. How are we going to do this? How, we, we cannot catch a break. You ever been there? You, you have those moments where, where the kids... <clears throat> need new shoes, and the car breaks down. Christmas is coming. The bill is due. Someone gets sick. Someone needs to go to the hospital. Or, or you go to the dentist and get a cavity filled and then find out afterwards that your insurance doesn't start for six months. Maybe that one last one might have just been me. But you know what I mean? Like you have these moments where you just feel like you can't catch a break and life happens and we just... How can we keep our heads above water? Everything seems to be falling apart. Spiritually speaking, we have been dealing with life and it seems as though praying has just went out the door. We don't even remember the last time we prayed or, or, or the last time we had a moment where we sat down and we prayed and we read the scriptures and we communed with God, even if it was just for a moment. It's like, when was the last time we did that? It seems like everything is falling apart and we don't remember we're on the go and our kids, they need this or that or our, our spouse needs this or that and work is crashing down around us. Have you ever been there before, church? I would say that if you could stand up and say right now, I have never been there. That is a magnificent story. Let me tell you, you're on the way. Am I right? <laughs> you know, you're on the way. But let me ask it another way. Have you ever been in a season of life where it just seemed so dry? Like desert dry. Like just your life was just, it's like, man, I'm in this weird dry season or this famine. You, you, you are lost off in the wilderness, kind of just wandering around and you're not sure what you're supposed to be doing or what God wants you to do and, and you just can't figure out how to get back to normal. Spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, you are just dry and you have nothing else to give anybody 
It's like all the, everybody has just zapped you dry. I think we've all been there. It's like we're going through a famine in our life. And it might be for you, it might be a famine of energy or a famine of time and money or passion or joy or, or just growth in general or just some other famine. And you're just like, oh God, when is this season of life going to end? Now, I know this is perhaps a, a little bit of a downer way to start and a little intense, but I think that it's true for everyone in here, no matter how young or old we are, that we go through seasons of life like this. And maybe for, for you, you're in a place right now where you're coming out of a season of dryness. Maybe you're in a place where you're in one right now. And then there are others of us in here that are, we, we, we are about to go in one. And I think that's true of all of us, no matter what, we're, you know, what stage of life we're in or what life experience we've had. And this is exactly what we see in the text that we're going to look at today. We're going to be in 1 Kings, if you want to turn there with me. And for the next three weeks, we're going to look at the life of the prophet Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 17. And we're going to look at, uh, take a deeper look at the encounter that we see with Elijah uh, in these, these three chapters. We're just looking at 17 today. But over the next three weeks, we're going to kind of dive in and see how God used him in the midst of a dry season and how that relates back to us. And, and I believe that God has something for you this morning, no matter where you're at. Now, let me give you some context or some backstory here. This is one of my favorite stories in, in all of the scriptures. I love this. I've preached on this text many times, and, and I just, I, God keeps using it to teach me uh, things in my life. And, and what we see, if you read the chapters before 17, what you find is, is that uh, the, the people of Israel wanted a king. They wanted a physical representation of a king. And it just so happened they were really bad, I guess, at picking kings or whatever. They just, every king before this point was evil. In fact, the Bible says that they, they were just more and more evil as they went on, that they would be more evil than, the one, than any king preceding them. And what we see at the end of chapter 16 is that there's a king named King Ahab, and he becomes the king, and he is more evil than anyone before him. In fact, what we see is that he did something that would have been unthinkable in, the, in this day. He rebuilt the city of Jericho. Now, if you're, if you're new to church or you're not familiar with that, essentially what, what the city of Jericho was uh, in the time of Moses, Moses was leading the Israelites and he passed away and the man named Joshua took over leading the Israelites after Moses. And there was this city that they had to conquer to enter into the promised land. And that was the city of Jericho. And it was one of the largest, if not the largest city, I believe it was the largest city uh, that they had ever encountered. And huge walls. And God tells them to march around the city and, and, and do this terrible battle strategy. Nobody's went to war this way. Go around, march around the city and play some instruments. Could you imagine if, if a general came to our military and said, put the guns away, get out the guitars. I mean, no, not a, nobody's going to like this idea. This is a terrible idea. But that's what they did, and the city is destroyed. And Joshua places a curse on that city, saying that anyone who would ever rebuild that city is to, would lose their firstborn son. Anyone who would rebuild the city gates will lose their youngest son. And King Ahab did that. He rebuilt the city and its gates at the cost of his oldest son and his youngest son. Unthinkable act. He was living far from God's desire for himself and for his people. 
So God calls Elijah to stand against it, and this is what happened. Elijah goes to Ahab and says this, 1 Kings 17, uh, verse 1. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, this might seem insignificant to us. This may not be that big of a deal to us because we have things like McDonald's and Five Guys and glorious Five Guys. And, and I love that place. And, and, and Burger King. And we can go and we can go to Taco Bell in that moment of, of bad decision. You can go to Taco Bell and you can get food or some approximation of food. And we don't think about this. We don't even think about how significant this would be. They do not live in a land where, where that could happen. Think about it. No rain on the land for, for, for a few years, for three years, would mean incredible devastation to the people. The consequences of this happening were far-reaching. Not only would it affect King Ahab, but it was going to affect all of the people of the land and Elijah as well. Everyone was going to experience pain and, and potentially starvation and famine and struggle and death across the land because of there being no rain. Look what happened now. Verse 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here. Turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. So God has told the ravens to bring him, you know, Chick-fil-A biscuits in the morning and, and chicken, you know, and all that and whatever. He's bringing that and got the lemonade and the iced tea and the whole thing. He's got everything that he needs right there. It really wasn't that, just so you know, just, just in case you were confused. But he brings, provides him with food in the morning and food in the evening and water and everything is good. So at this point, life is good for Elijah. He is doing exactly what God had directed him to do. And by all accounts, we could say that he is in the center of God's will. But look what happens. Verse 7. Some time later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel like your life has reached a sometime later moment? Oh, there was a season of plenty. There was a time when everything was good and you felt like you were in the middle of God's will and everything was going your way and life was exactly as you wanted it to be. Everything felt just perfect. And then sometime later happened and it all fell apart. And now everything is a mess and you're at that point where you're like, God, if you don't show up and do something, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this day. Maybe it was at work or maybe it was in your marriage or in your family or with your kids and you're like, God, I need you to move. I need you to do something. That bill came in the mail that you weren't expecting and you're like, God, I have no idea how we're gonna survive this. How are we gonna make it through this? God, our marriage is falling apart and I need you to move and do something. I need you to either change me or change her. We could start with her, that would be great, but... I need you to do something, God. I just got a, a look. God, change me. She's perfect. 
Or maybe it's with your kids and you're like, I, I tell you what, I know that that one right there is not going to listen to a word I said. Watch him. Just, I guarantee you, I told him not to do that. He's going to do it. You know what I mean? Parents, you've been there? Or, or, or it's like they become teenagers and you're like, and if they're boys, you're like, I've told him to take a shower 50 times. I'm not sure he's taking a shower in 50 days. You know what I mean? It's like, how are we going to survive this season, God? How are we going to get through this? You are desperate for God to do something. You are desperately waiting for then. Then. We'll get the next verse. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of in the region of Sidon, and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. Now it occurs to me that God often moves in just the right time. But it is never just my time. Amen? That'd be like a kind of a sad amen there. But I mean, you know what I mean? Like, like God, why can't you do it on my schedule? I like my schedule. My schedule's good for me. My time is better than your time. So we think and say and, and believe. But God often moves in just the right time. And it's always His time. But interestingly enough, his time is always the right time. Amen. I know we don't like to say that because, again, deep down, we want it to be our time. But his time is always better. Look at verse 12. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Great. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat and die. That's chipper. It looks like God has moved on behalf of Elijah and everything is going to be okay. But then we read and we find out that the very person who's supposed to provide for uh, Elijah that God has orchestrated to provide for him is actually in worse shape than Elijah is. Can you imagine this for a moment? Put yourself in this situation. She is at this place where she is out gathering sticks. She has a little bit of sustenance, a little bit of food left. She is going to make one final meal for herself and her son and then die. I mean, I, I, I've been hungry before. I, I've, I've even said I'm starving to death. I've never been at the place where I'm like, I'm going to make one final meal, Allison, and we're going to die. It's over. Can't deal with this no more. Just end it right there. That's better be a good meal. That's all I'm saying. You know? And that's where she's at. She's literally at this place where it's over. She's in worse shape than he is. And if you read on, what you see is that God uses this moment in an incredible way to increase the faith of not just Elijah, but her as well. 
he uses this moment as this incredible way to, to, to have her sacrifice out of the last little bit of what she had left in this world. This is all she had left was a little bit of flour in a jar and a little bit of olive oil in a jug. She was literally ready to die and she's going to sacrifice all that she has left in the world to feed Elijah. Here's a, a very practical truth that I think we can get from this. And if, if you get nothing else, at least, at least get this. God wants great things for us. But he wants us to be faithful in those moments where, he, where there is a challenge like this. He wants us to be faithful with where he has you right now so that he can take you on to something that is next. He wants you to be faithful in the dry season so that when he brings the rain, you're ready for it. See, we've got to be faithful with where God has us now so that he can show us What's next? Truth is, he will never give you what's next until you've been obedient with where he has you now. And the widow had to be faithful. She had to be faithful with what God had given her. But the reality is, is that God had something greater for her and for Elijah. That is a beautiful truth that he, he has something greater for us. He has something greater for you, but he wants you to be faithful with your jar and your jug. Whatever that is. What is your jar and your jug? I, I, only, only you know that, but he wants you to be faithful with what he has given you, what little bit he has given you so that he can take you on to something greater. Look at this, verse 13. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the, for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word the Lord had spoken by Elijah. She had nothing left and yet she trusted God with what little bit she had and God was faithful to her. God was faithful. Don't miss this. When the jar is running empty and the cupboard is bare or the well is dry. God is not worried, friends. He's not worried. He's not freaking out. When you've lost your passion, when you've lost your joy, when, you, when you don't, you're not sure how you can keep going or you, you think everything is, is it's gonna be, it's gonna be terrible and you're at the end of your rope, God is still working. God is still working. Remember, God is just waiting to bring the rain. As we sang today, he wants to flood our lives with the rain. But we must first be faithful in the three years of famine. We must first be faithful with the, with the jar and the jug. He wants us to trust him in the dry season. May we never mistake his silence for absence and his patience for abandonment. 
I want to say that again because I think that's worth putting on Facebook and, 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 and writing all over the mountains. You know, make a sign, put it around town. May we never mistake his silence for absence or his patience for abandonment. God is still good and he's still at work in your life, even in the dry season. If you finish reading the passage, what you find out is that the woman has another sometime later moment where her son almost dies and God uses that, which I think is, again, it was first be faithful with the jug in the jar, and then it's, hey, hey, be faithful with your son. And she trusts God, and Elijah is used to heal her son. And I think there was a whole lesson there with Elijah, being faithful, believing that God could use him to heal her son. And, and, and it's, it's this incredible moment, and if you keep, I feel like this, this whole story just gets better and better and better as we read, but I want to stop there, and we'll pick up next week um, with, with more of the text. But I, I want to give you some things, I think, just a few application thoughts here that I think are, 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 are life-changing. And they're worth considering this morning. Maybe you can relate to this story. Perhaps you're in a season right now, you're like, man, I am in a dry season. My life is, is just like, it is bone dry. And I don't know what I'm going to do. Or maybe you're in that time of life and you're saying, you know what, I'm rejoicing because I'm coming out of a dry season and it's, it's good. Or, or maybe you're, you, you can sense it and you're saying, you know what, I'm about to head into a dry season and, it's, and life is hard. And you know what, I think these things happen sometimes not even by our own choosing. It's, it's consequences of somebody else's choosing. Sometimes it's consequences of our own bad decisions, things that we've done to ourselves. Sometimes we are our own worst enemy. And then other times, it's just, it's just life. Life happens. But we all have these seasons, and we all have the, you know, the valley experiences, and then we have the mountaintop experience. And so we need to know how to deal with these and how to be faithful in those times. Because see, what matters is not the season that you're in, but the perspective that you have about your circumstances. What matters is how you view God in this moment. How you view your circumstances, how you view your situation, that's what really matters. So let me ask you some questions. What do you believe about your circumstances? What do you believe about God? Do you believe that God is punishing you in this moment? That this is some sort of retribution that God is allowing you to go through this because you messed up somewhere along in your life and it's punishment for that? Do you think that God doesn't care about the season of life that you're going through? Are you letting your dry season and your circumstances have victory over your life? Because see, our perspective matters. And if we see it as that, it will be. But if we see it as God is using this to challenge my faith and he has something greater for me and he has something waiting for me just around the corner and I've just got to be simply faithful in this moment with my jug and my jar, it's a totally different situation, isn't it? We can see our circumstances in a whole different light when we believe them as God is using this to strengthen my faith and to take me somewhere greater. Yeah. Yes. Amen. <laughs> I feel like God has something greater for us. But so often, I'm going to sidetrack here for a moment, so often we don't believe that. We believe that he has nothing but punishment and uh, you know retribution for the mistakes that we've made. But that's just not true. 
God wants greater things for your life more than you want greater things for your life. And so why wouldn't we believe this? Why wouldn't we want to desperately believe that God has greater things for us? If we get to the point where we can believe that, then there's three things I want to give you that I think you can learn from the situation with Elijah and, and, and the brook and the ravens and that whole kind of encounter and the widow. And the first thing is this. Everybody's brook dries up eventually. Just sad news. Hate to break it to you, but somewhere down the road, you're going to have a moment where life just doesn't go the way you want it to go. We all have these moments. Some of us could probably sit here and, and just we would just be depressed by the end of it because you could just tell story after story after story of where life did not go the way that you thought it should go or that you wanted it to go. We, have, we all have these moments where our brook dries up. We will have this moment. Life throws curveballs, stuff happens, it gets ugly. And if we know this ahead of time, if we're already knowledgeable and prepared, then we're not surprised. When it happens... We can just trust that God is working in this moment and he's doing something. Second thing, God doesn't always work on our schedule. Again, I, I, don't, I don't like this. I'm just going to be honest. I pretty much have total disdain for the fact that God does not work on my schedule. I love my schedule. I wish that he would always work on my schedule. But here's the thing. He has a plan. He has a plan. And he might be using this situation that you're in right now to increase your faith and the faith of those around you. So I think that's the, that second part is what we miss oftentimes. We've been in a series with the, with the students about faith and, and how sometimes God puts us in a situation so that by us responding in a faithful way, it is an inspiration and, and, and challenge to those who watch us and see us, maybe people who don't even have faith. Maybe God is using you right now at work to be a witness, as we heard about this morning, a witness to those that you work with in the area of faith. And by you responding to a difficult circumstance in a faithful way, it's going to challenge somebody else. And maybe they will come to know God because of your faith. Or maybe they will be able to get through a difficult situation because of your faith. Or maybe they will have the courage to come to you and you will be the person that they come to and they say, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. I can't deal with this situation. How? Help me. I, I don't know what to do. And you become a listening ear and can share how God used you in his time and on his schedule to grow your faith and you become a witness to somebody else. He wants us to trust him in the dry seasons so that we can build up a resilience through the storm. And ultimately, I believe that he's trying to get us to greater understand this last point, which is that though we may be on empty, God never runs out. God never runs out. Though your jug, your jar, your bank account, your energy level, your passion, your desire, whatever it is, might be just flatlined on empty. God is ready to just rain down like a flood in your life. He wants to, he wants to open up the, the floodgates of heaven and pour out his spirit in your life and fill you back up to overflowing 
to fill you up to the point that your cup is so overflowing that it pours out around you and splashes on the people that you interact with every single day and around you. See, our brook is dried up. Our ravens, they've stopped feeding us. They gave up a long time ago, but God has another plan. He has a widow waiting for us in another town that's going to feed us. And then he has the, the ability to make it so that her jar and her jug never run empty, ever. He is not on empty. So let me ask you as we close, the band's going to come back up, and we're going to sing that song, There's a Cloud Again. And it's going, to, it's going to be a theme of this series. We'll sing it again next week. And like I said, it'll make more sense next Sunday when we read the next part of the passage. But I want to ask you, in the midst of your dry season, who are you trusting? Who are you trusting? Where, where is your faith lying? Is your faith lying in your work, your spouse, yourself, your kids, your boss, or, or, or just people in general, or your money? I hope not because all of those things will let us down. Even, even to put faith in, in your pastors and your church, let's face it, we will let you down. We will run on empty eventually. Your, your spouse will eventually run on empty. And if you're looking for them to fill you up and sustain you, their jug is going to run empty eventually. Some of us probably quicker than others. We must trust and put our faith in Jesus because he never runs out. And when we let him be in total control, he takes our life on to greater things. He takes us from the now that we are being faithful and obedient with and he takes us on to greater things. And that's what he wants for your life this morning. And so as we close this, this out, I, I want to challenge you. If, if you need to come and pray, come and pray. But I would challenge you this morning to just worship him and to sing out, allowing the Spirit of God to just rain down in your life and fill you back up. What we're going to see next week as we get into our text is that in the midst of three years, not a drop of rain has happened. And then one day, they say, there is a cloud coming. And the sound of rain is on its way. And that's what I want us to sing about this morning as we close, is that in the midst of your dry season, it seems terrible, but there is a cloud coming and God is gonna rain down in your life. So let's stand together and let's sing and worship as we close. If you need to pray, come and pray, but let's sing. May that be your prayer this morning, church, that we would just receive his reign. I love, love the part in that song that talks about the idea that, that there were seeds planted in sorrow. If you can imagine what that would be like to have lived through a three-year famine, you're planting seed and hoping that God does something, and you're probably crying and weeping because you've lost people. There are people who have died because you, and you have literally, you're just, you're putting the seed in the ground, hoping and begging God to do something. 
but you don't know at all. In fact, if history would, would, would dictate, you're probably wasting your time putting the seed in the ground. It's probably going to go to waste. It's probably going to die. But the victory is, is that there is a cloud coming. God is moving. He is moving in your life, in the life of our church, in the life of our community. And he's going to bring the rain. May we rejoice him for that this morning. Let's pray. God, we want your reign in our lives. God, we want you to rain down on our hearts and on our spirits, God, and on our lives. God, your Holy Spirit, move in us. And whatever we're going through, God, there are people in here that are going through uh, dry seasons. They are, it is so dry. And God, there are others maybe right now who are experiencing the victory. God, they're on the mountaintop and everything is good. May they, even in that moment, begin to build their faith and be obedient, God, with what you've given them. So that when the dry season does come, they are ready and they are prepared. God, be with those of us who are in that season that are struggling. Help us to, to have faith, to believe that there is a cloud on its way. That we can trust you and that we be faithful with the jar and jug that you have given us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church, for being here. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you back next week.